Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I have Kara Maxud with me of Money Habitudes. Now, Kara and I are just getting to know each other in the last year or so, but she is a spitfire of energy from the Northeast, and she brings all of that energy to the show today. I'm so excited to have her on the show because she has a lot to say about families and children and money and financial intimacy, which is just absolutely, of course, one of my favorite topics. And she's going to share about her company and money habitudes and what they're up to as well, because I know they're an incredibly valuable resource for couples on the journey of really clarifying how they each individually relate to money. And money habitudes is just such a practical tool. So Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ed, so much. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate that you call me a spitfire. For a long time, I feel like everybody was trying to put my fire out. And I was like, no, let the fire burn. Uh, So I very much appreciate that. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's good. I think this is actually probably, if you don't mind, I'm just going to jump right in on this like gender norms and expectations, right? Like women can be the full range of expressiveness just as much as men, and we need to honor them for how they show up in the world. Yes. And I would, I mean, I, I know you know my history, but just for your listeners, right? My early career was spent on a trading floor on the New York Stock Exchange 25 years ago, right? And um, the energy I brought was very well received. But then if I didn't get back in my box, meaning, you know, in the boardroom, let's say, you know, if I spoke up or I right, gave my opinion in a, in a situation that wasn't, you know, let's say part of the social norm at the time, there were yeah. definitely eyeballs. Now, take a girl from Brooklyn who's played ice hockey on an old boys team most of her life, who's raised <laughs> by a pretty, you know, my dad is, is there's no crying in baseball kind of guy. Uh, yeah, right. The eyeballs rolling at me or me being told to go back in my box wasn't really... You can't put you back in the box, Kara. Can't put me back in the box, right? Like, so so I would often just keep saying what I thought, my opinions. And, you know, after a while, I was an, a revenue generating little person on, on this trading floor. So, right, I I always go to the math. I'm a, I'm a numbers person. So if, if my opinion wasn't being listened to, I was the first one who would pull out a P&L sheet and be like, well, I made X dollars. This guy made X dollars. So it sounds like my X dollars are more than his X dollars. So my opinion should be 1.625% greater (laughs) than his, right? Like I was like, we're not going to, this is not gender. This is not height. This is not like a pretty, this is purely numbers. And I think having that level of like confidence and again, I come from, and, and you and I are going to talk about this, I'm sure, later on the show. I come from a really supportive household. Um, 
Dr. Mm. Preston and I had a conversation the other day and I, and I said something about my dad being a little rough and he was like, well, you shouldn't say about that with your father. And I'm like, I thank the Lord every day that my dad was as rough as he was with me because what it enabled me to go out and do was really be in these situations where people could kind of be a little bit crude. It didn't seem to bother me and I could still function and I could still get things done. It didn't attack me emotionally, but yeah. I knew my dad loved me ridiculously and I knew I was fully supported by him right so that, that then transferred onto wall street and so right putting back to putting me in the box right where they want you to like sit there and not say much that wasn't me and so i would have people after meetings say things to me like you know really you should tone it down or you shouldn't be so bubbly or you know you shouldn't have so much energy or nobody's going to take you seriously because i'm a hair twirler and as uh, you can imagine, hair twirling is not like a it's well not seen as like a sign no. of professionalism. No. And I'm like, I'll twirl this hair 50,000 times if we could generate that kind of revenue, right? Like, <laughs> I love it. Uh -huh. That was yeah. my, like, I was like, why are you bothering me about things just to bother me about things? If, yeah. you know, and I've come a long way in my career, but I've really, really, really learned to appreciate the things that are not social norms as the things that I think are the biggest benefits to teams. Because when you have someone that's not falling into, we won't go down this barrel, but when, I, I, this is my Dan Arelli, so if anybody knows him, I'm trying to get him. If you have somebody who's falling outside of the social norms, they're not permeable or subject to like just going along with the group. And right. so times there is where in lies the like what you need to, to move forward or because they're going to do what they think. And it could be right or wrong. I'm not I'm not saying it's it, right. They're going to change. What do we call it? Like circular causality. Yeah. Like they're yeah. going to take us off the loop. Well, they're going to right. They're going to be kind of that the, um, you know, how is a pearl made with like a little grain of sand in it? And so it's the they're the rub in there and we need to pay right. attention because either they're really spot on or they may be completely off base, but they're going to challenge us to think about why we're really on base and should go with. And either side of that is valuable. Right. Or they're going to put you on an edge because now they've made you uncomfortable or they've made you, you know, how could you say that? Whatever it might be, any reaction is a good reaction. Mm. Because it moves something. So it could wind up being a bad situation. I don't want to commingle the two sure but a reaction moves things forward or or backwards or just moves it right energy is good energy yeah hmm i think that's an interesting way to frame it i i often say when people ever do work with me i always say i have my four c's right i have collaboration i have conflict i have competition and i have camaraderie and in that order Right, like those are. Well, wait, wait. So go back because I, I totally am like my brain is getting blown up right now. <laughs> Hold on, these terms seem almost at odds with each other. So they are run them again because I'm pretty sure where the wisdom is, but run them by us again. So collaboration is first. Yep. Conflict. Uh -huh. Conflict. Yeah. Competition. Competition. And camaraderie. Camaraderie. Okay. Wow. So. The first and last kind of bookend. Yeah. Collaboration. And without conflict, I mean, with right, 
people, I love to work with people I absolutely disagree with. And I absolutely fundamentally think are so very different than me because it forces me to one, if I really will need them on my side, it forces me to figure out 90 other ways to tell the story that I'm telling because I've got to penetrate someone who really is at odds with me. Right. I don't know a, a motion picture in the world that doesn't have a great conflict. <laughs> That <laughs> right. like, you don't watch yeah. something that's like hunky dory and everything's great, right? right. Like is what challenges us and what really takes us to that next level, right? I yes. live in a super, super high conflict relationship, and most people, I would think, if you only get five minutes with us, you would be like, oh my god, these two, like, how do they even last five minutes? And they're on sure. the we are. I always say everybody should know their resting conflict rate. That's not something we measure. We don't have a tool. I'm, I'm working with Dr. resting conflict, conflict rate. rate, right? Because if I'm yeah. my resting rate, when you know your BMI or you know, right. yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever, right. you only know if it's good or bad based on the number that the resting, like what your average, your internal rate. reference is yeah right you have high cholesterol you have a high blood pressure or you have something about you that's different than the social norms and you have to know that so when somebody takes your test they're like oh my god you have this but you're like oh no no no, that's my normal right temperature all kinds of things that we can measure but we don't measure what our normal conflict rate is so when when i say that i mean again you called me a spitfire the minute i stepped on the show yeah. I would think that's giving your audience like a, a privilege to like, this girl is right. She's she's going to bring a lot of energy. This is going to be fast. Yeah. I don't know if somebody would automatically assume this is somebody I'm going to get into conflict with. I would hope that we, they would know that I would be, you know, vocal. I'd be opinionated. I would be all of right. those things as respectfully as I often can be. Cause I try to do both at the same time. Not always. Yeah. Um, but that, that I, if I don't engage, so you've called me a spitfire. If you come on and then you said, Kara, and you asked me a question and I'm like, mm, it's great. That's more of a concern than if I'm like, hey, that's the worst question. <laughs> right. right. My rate, my resting rate is a seven, let's say on a one to 10 scale. scale sure. That makes sense. But yeah. if I go to you, the standard right. deviation there is much greater. And that means I'm, I'm disengaged. Yeah, there's something really big that's going on there, right? And like, conversely, I don't think anybody would call me a spitfire, <laughs> right? Like I'm the opposite of spitfire, whatever that, I don't even know what the word is, but like, I, I'll just sit here and listen and be quiet and patiently. And like, you know, my my heart rate is rising, just even the thought about being in conflict. And when you said, yeah, I live in a high conflict relationship. And I think you're effectively saying, it's great. I was thinking... <laughs> No, it's not like, that's bad. We got to fix that. But this, I think your concept is so important because conflict styles are a sense, become internalized and normalized for us. And some of us are on that end of conflict avoidant mm -hmm. and others are on the conflict pursuing and right. both can be very toxic. And that's the real trick Yep, is like, yep. how do we do our conflict style well? And then when we're in partnership, if someone has a different average conflict score is that yeah. what you're calling it yeah. yeah 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 this is i love this because i think that's one of the things the marriage research is very clear if you're in an intimate relationship there will be conflict yep 
Yep. So Which is why we go back to collaborate, conflict, conflict, competition, camaraderie. Well, and that's an interesting thing because I see one of my favorite stories is uh, some friends of ours. They said, yeah, we went to couples therapy and then we came out and said, I won that session. And I'm just thinking like, that's not the point of therapy. Like, <laughs> And yet I think in the intimate relationship, what you're proposing, Kara, is there's a space for competitiveness within the coupleship even there and is. That, that that can be healthy because it maybe spurs each other on to do better. Well, look at, I, I, and I didn't read the book, but I heard the blurb. Michelle Obama talked about the relationship, right? And like, neither person wins all the time. He could be 80, you could be 20. So I do, I, I will, you know, disagree with, I do think there's a moment where you win or I win, right? Like, I am not a proponent of the generations that we live in now where everybody gets a trophy and da da da. da. And I think in relationships, there are times where you oh, win and they win, and I have to take the back seat or you have to take the back seat. And yes. again, over time, if it, if it, Works it should out smooth well, relatively. That's fine. Now, in my relationship, my husband is thrilled to never win the war on like the like outside world. But funny enough, my husband does have much more of a personality like you. And it took us a couple of years to get to a place where we could conflict like respectfully and collectively. Cause I'm a like. I want to be like on the Staten Island Expressway, jumping out of the I Rock and slam the door, screaming at the I want total to- action adventure video here. Yeah. We come, yeah. and like right. you know, you kiss at the end of the scene and everything's great. Like I want the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. He is so much more of like you know, very methodical, very like. One uh, in front of the other, in front of the other. If you like shake him too hard, he like is totally like he's got to start back at one. Like, ah. I'm, so really, what what our relationship pushed us both to do was to satisfy the other person and mm-hmm. get out of our comfort zones, right? Because yeah. I just I could have just spent the rest of my life dating all the Vinnies of the world who would have absolutely fought with me on the expressway, yeah, but right. I don't think. I could have been where I am today. And I would I would believe that he would feel the same way that he could have went with like, let's call her Rachel, you know. Yeah, Wallflower doesn't right. ever settle anything. And I think that he would say he wouldn't be where he is today. So I think because both of us learned to, to absorb some of these skills from one another and get better at doing, like when I recognize other people that are similar to his personality type, I've now been, an, I'm an expert in talking to that type of a person, right? right. I know that I can't turn on the rock, right? I need to like, dial you know, it down a little bit. Yeah. Right. And I'm not great at that. I'm really it's, not. It's a stretch, that. right? It's a stretch. And I am yeah. not great at not being authentic. Like even when I like go into a meeting and I'm like, Kara, you're going in with like, let's call them Southerners, right? Like I live in Florida now. Yeah. So like I go into situations and I'm like, tone down the New York, tone down the like right. thoughts in your head, like drink mm-hmm. tea, but, like I drink a bedtime tea. And, like, <laughs> one, like, and yeah, sometimes I right. can't help myself. Like it's just so... Well, it's part of the, right. I mean, that's the challenge of, right. Working with our own wiring and 
and coming making peace with this is really who I am and how I'm wired and I can flex some but there's only so far I can flex and you know and the flex is usually like a made up flex right like at least that's a lot of my where like I saw the flex so I always tell a story about a kid who worked for me and he had these tremendous neck tattoos and so really, I mean, again, I was raised in Brooklyn in the five boroughs. Like I was a bridge and tunnel girl yeah. and neck tattoos were very symbolic of like guys that were in gangs. Like that was sure. very, yeah. and they, you know, they wore the symbol. It went up off the low chin straight through the collarbone. Like it was a very definitive Distinct association. Right. Yes. Sure. And this kid came to work for us and he had this tremendous tattoo and I don't remember what exactly the situation was, but he came into my office and he was complaining about like, let's call it like I bought Scott paper towels instead of bounty paper towels. Like it <laughs> yeah, was like sure. that ridiculous. And I'm not discounting anybody's feelings or thoughts or anything. But the thing he came to my office about was like utterly ridiculous. And I'm assuming now when I can look back on it with my little therapist hat on, like there must have been something else going on. What it symbolized. And he got very emotional and he, And I said to him, and I was being really, I hope he, I'm sure he didn't like me in the moment, but I hope I was being honest. I said, listen, I'm having a hard time digesting, like, and taking you seriously. You have a neck tattoo. I automatically have assumed that you are tough at a level that is like 10 times. Right. Oh, I, I can't wrap my head around this. I'm having a hard time seeing you be so vulnerable because- neck tattoos on a guy represent the toughest of toughest kind of folks. And I don't have a problem vulnerable, but the thing you're coming to me about just seems so insignificant. Oh, sure. Uh Uh-huh. You're coming about something else. Let's just reveal, like, we don't need to play charades here. Let's just be direct about what the real problem is here. Okay. Right. So did you get, did you get to it? Yes, I got to it in the end, but it was not straightforward at all. But like, For me, right, I am, like, so I think back to authenticity. For me, I'm finding that as much as I want to tone it down, I'm like, it's it's deceitful to tone it down. Because then you, if I come in as a wallflower, because I've prepped my brain, and then you feed me on something else, and then you get this other version of like you're (laughs) Right, whoa. What, what, What am I really, yeah, this is not what I signed up for here. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's that. Yeah. The power of authenticity is, and that's that. I think when I think about flexibility in our personhood is we're not leaving our core who we are, but we we can be aware of our environment and to varying degrees, what's appropriate or not appropriate. And, you know, that's, that's part of maturing and growing up. And it's, it's interesting to just think about honestly, I'm just going to own it on the podcast and you're going to love this. I'm still just trying to catch my breath because I'm like, Oh, this is fast. I mean, this I'm, you know, I love it, but I'm like, Ooh, okay. Where am I going to go with this? Is just, you're going to have a, you're going to have a two times walk today. Yeah. So you know, people listen to podcasts normally on like one and a half times, two times, they're going to have to put this on half speed just to be able to, So I love it though. Right. That's do you like, wanna, do you want to giggle about a two times speed? So when I was in graduate school, I have a clearly severe types of ADD and um, I am terrible at reading. I can't really sit still long enough. My sister-in-law got me all these audible 
devices oh. where I could read everything audible and i'm a, i love to cook so i spend a lot of five kids as i think we've oh, said yeah. before so yeah. i do a ton of cooking so i started like you know doing all my onion and garlic chopping to like all these books and so my husband comes home from work one day he comes into the kitchen and he's like what what is happening here and so my podcast was on or my book yeah. was on and I put it at like 1.7, 1. 1.8. Like, yeah. literally, like, do you remember it the was, commercial from when we were kids with the guy who does the micro? It was like a yeah. micro car oh, or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, oh my gosh, I now understand why our relationship has so many communication issues. He's like, you need to listen at two times speed, and I speak at half time. <laughs> Yes, right. This is this is the deal. This this I you know it's funny, like in this whole thing, and this is a little detour, but we're talking I was talking to someone recently about foreign language and learning foreign language. And it's like, you know, when you're learning a foreign language, it's like, man, they talk so fast. Right. And I always thought like English was just like the normal pace, but then I'm like, yeah, but when I hear English, because I, you know, I'm learning English, it sounds so fast. I was like, Oh, that happens in reverse. Like my native language, right? Pace sounds very normal to me. But when I hear someone speaking in Italian or Spanish or French or German, I'm like, wow, it's, so, it's so fast. fast. But it's right. it's that like how much of our brain knows what's going on and can interpret it. And now you mentioned, do you have a formal diagnosis, ADD, ADHD? So, so or when is I this... was like 19, I did have a formal diagnosis um, that I just walked out of the office and I was like, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to work for me. Okay. Yeah. I have, I have what, you know, the little kid that they put the helmet on and they yeah. run against a lot of walls until they figure out which direction yeah. I did. I, mean, ah. I, I really, um, and in the end, I was really happy that I didn't know everything I could have known, I guess. I mean, as I'm an adult, I wish there were things I probably should have paid better attention to. Um, as a kid, I think it was good because I think I would have used it a little bit more as a crutch and I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. So because I really didn't uh, really grasp on it, I would just try things like everybody else. And when it didn't work, I would just keep trying because I'm competitive. Right. I just wouldn't, like, I would just keep trying until I got it. And I was fortunate and I recognize that that's not everybody can make it work. Some things things didn't. Right. Right. But I I didn't give up as quickly because I didn't have something else that I could shift it to. I just thought I was the same as everybody else. Well, you know, that brings up such an interesting point because it's, I'm going to use the word intersectionality and it's borrowing from one area, but bringing it in is, I mean, we're made up of so many different component parts. Right. And so like ADD could be a blessing or a curse, depending on a number of other factors in your life, some knowable, some less knowable. And it's, yeah, it's just, you know, I think, I don't know. So, so I think, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I think I was very, very fortunate. This is where that piece of luck comes in, right? I went to a trading floor. Like, if I... Oh, if where it magnified me, or was valuable. Right, if they would have made me go become an actuary, I don't think I would have succeeded, right? But they're both numbers-based. But one would have made me sit at a desk and, like, read, you know, data. Right. 
I probably would have fallen asleep and gotten fired. Whereas you put me on a trading floor with a whole bunch of people that are ridiculously infused with various substances, right? Then you take yeah. somebody like myself who has no substance, but because everybody yeah, else, else. Yeah, you can run the pace too. It, you don't... it works out. So let's just name what are some of those substances that you you know. So right, there was for. a lot of lot of cocaine, a lot of pill popping, right, and various uh -huh. pills. I have to be honest with you, I'm not a drug user. I always say, yeah. given me the option, I was always a dealer, not a user. There's much more money in dealing than there is in using. And I'm a capitalist, so <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I mean that really like somebody yeah. was like, oh, did you grow up with like a parent that? And I was like, I wish I had a better story. The story really is that I'm cheap. And I like money and where I see opportunities, I like to take advantage of them. them and using never seemed to pay off, but dealing, there was a lot. <laughs> There's a lot more value. Than... I wasn't a drug dealer, but full disclosure, but... FBI, if you're listening, I was right, not right, dealing was... drugs. Yes. Uh, we might want to edit that part, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, but... this is, I mean, this is the real deal. These are real people. Yeah, We're real. No. And I mean, this all right. I like this stuff coming out because this is the Healthy Love and Money podcast. And we're exploring what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with yourself, with your intimate partner and money. And yeah. we live through all kinds of very interesting experiences. And being yeah. on the trading floor, being with a bunch of other people that are doing cocaine and various other stimulant-based pills, like that shows you something about how a part of the world works financially. Yep. Yep. And what they need to run. And I'll, and I'll be honest with you, Ed, I wouldn't be on the journey I am today searching for the true meaning of like, what does it mean to be financially healthy? What does it mean to be financially well? What does it mean to be financially intimate? Not even with another person, with yourself, Self. right? I couldn't be on this journey without those experiences. There is no more greater experience than being less than one degree of separation from the money being on a trading floor, right? When you work at Ford Motor Co Company, you make a car, you make a tire, those things get put out in the world, they get consumed, that turns into money. But when you work on a trading floor, there's nothing between you and the money you make. And there's nothing between the fact that everybody around you just equates your value with the amount of money you can make. And remember, that means the risk that you can stomach, right? So when you're working on it and in that kind of a trading environment, right? And you, let's say you take down a position and you're long the stock and now somehow the CEO gets caught in some scandal and the stock now starts moving against you. Right. You not you can't be emotional. You have to be logical. You have to know your numbers. You have to know where to get in and out. But we both know what happens emotionally. We both know <laughs> what it feels like to have to admit to being wrong. And now you're doing it on a stage. Forget right. that I'm a woman. We'll take away that I'm a woman. We'll just right. yeah. get on a stage with all these other people who may be on substances. So they're not, there's no filter in what they're saying. There was Same. no filter really anyway, but now there's really no filter. No filter, right. This is, this is a volcano, right? Like yeah. This is a combustible. It feels, so, seems like a pressure cooker, just an pressure absolute cooker. Pressure, cooker. pressure cooker. And I have to be honest, I think for me, I was very, very, very fortunate in that I loved every minute of it. I enjoyed every second of it. I mean, I went through some really ridiculous situations, but. The entire time I was like taking notes, 
right? Like I knew then that wasn't my whole life. I was very aware then that the life could, there's a song, there's a lyric in the Don Henley song um, in a New York minute. And the lyric says he went down to wall street and he didn't come home in the morning. Right. And the next lyric, he was too much in this world. And I was very well aware that wall street eats you. And if you don't want it to do that, you need to set up very clear boundaries. Boundaries. Yeah. And those boundaries could be whether it was substances, whether it was the indulgent lifestyle, whether it was thinking you're greater than yourself. Yeah. Right? Sure. Thinking that the all of a sudden the money has changed you as a human. Like you forget you have two arms, two legs, two eyes, because now you employ people. So in theory, you have 10 arms, 10 legs, 10 eyeballs, right? But you don't. You you can employ people that that feeling, but that ego, that, right? I've never seen, and I apologize to all the boys out there that may be listening to this that I've come across, but nobody witnessed more like short, small, stocked Napoleon kind of men. Yeah. That as they made more money, their height increased. And I was like, well, no, no, you're not actually getting any taller. <laughs> you're not eight feet tall so now. Great. Their shoulders went up and their confidence. We used to call it store-bought confidence. Like, uh, all of a sudden, uh, you could see the transition. And for me, it was fascinating to watch because to be on the receiving end, and I'm, I'm assuming based yeah. on your, you, you know, we can be a little crude, they would then men that let's say I turned down when they made 50 grand a year would show up again when they made 500. And I would honestly look at them and say, because I'm here working too. So like, right. I, like I didn't like you then. I don't like no, you now. Okay. Like I'm not following why you thought the more money. Cause that's the only thing that changed. Well, right. That's part of that culture is your value is based on your financial performance. You are more valuable. And so your sense of self is inflated as you perform better. But the the challenge is when your sense of self is tied directly to your performance, inevitably every performer falls and the sense of self collapses. And so this, it sounds like for you, there is a sense of, I really enjoy this whole environment and everything. And my sense of personal worth is not fully connected to how I perform. That's not to say I don't care about how I perform. Right. But like, if I have a bad day, yeah, that stinks and sucks pickles. But you know what? My dad loves me. Right. I'm still okay. I'm going to go on in the world. Is that what you're saying? But there's a lot of people that like, they didn't have that internal character to fall back on. So they're turning to the market and performance for validation and success. And clearly measurable right it's like right and in my wildest dreams i don't think i thought like my dad's a school bus driver my mom was like a part-time bookkeeper again we grew up in brooklyn by no means were we poor but by no means were we like upper middle class like we were somewhere in the middle but we had what we needed but we didn't have any more we drove old cars like you know yeah it was a relatively modest relatively modest and and you know i could tell you funny stories about like things my dad has done but um but needless to say, for me, I had no, I couldn't believe, I think I went to work every day being like, oh my God, I can't believe I made it here. Like, it's all going to go away. Like, I think I was so in disbelief that I had uh, made it that oh. I was like, well, it's going to come to an end soon because who gets this lucky or who gets like, who gets to live this who way? Gets, 
Right. That that's the new Jimmy Buffett song, by the way. <laughs> uh, but it, there was a level of that. And then I think there was also a level of I was always told I was really good at things. So even with all my spitfireness increases, like in the classroom, I was a pain in the butt, right? I couldn't sit still. Teachers yeah. were constantly like, you know, telling me to take it down. But there were always like, especially these my early childhood education, there was a few nuns. I don't know if they got a, a sign from above. Like they were very instrumental in saying to my mom, like she's got gifts, she's got intuition, she's she really tends to have a full range. Like, yeah. so, and my work was always good. Like my work yeah. was right. It wasn't neat. It wasn't always clearly written, but it was right. <laughs> right. You know, as the work got harder, as I became older, like the paper writings and stuff definitely became difficult for me. Cause it was hard for me to focus and hard for me to stay, um, you know, really engaged in that kind of stuff. And I would run to wall street at 17. So I was wow. in college working on the training for trying to figure out what I was doing in college because you didn't need a college degree at that point to, to be on the trading yeah, floor. And I was doing well there. And so I got there. And I guess my point of all of this is to say like, people had told me I was good at something and my parents really did love me. Yeah. So I had both of those pieces, but then I was in this environment where good was never enough. And right. The uh, saying there's, you know, you're only as good as your last trade. And sure. so, so I really was like, am I good? wait, I'm good. Oh my God, I'm not good. Wait, am I good? Like I went through the everyday. Confused about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that sounds familiar. There's definitely pieces <laughs> of that. So, so Kira, we, I wanted to make sure that we, we talk about family life, money experiences, kids. And I'm going to add this in as raising kids with a higher level of air, air quotes. People can't see the air quotes, but privilege, right? This yeah. privilege word is a very loaded term. Yeah. Um, curious about your thoughts and what you're seeing, how you see it at this point in your life. So, and this is a big, huge thought for me um, yeah. because as I mentioned, I didn't come from a whole lot. My right. husband and I both worked really, really hard to get to where we got. And all of a sudden here I was living in Manhattan with five children you know, no, we weren't going to private school or anything like that, but we were living amongst, you know, yeah. wealthy, the one percenters, da, 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 da. And I realized very quickly that it wouldn't matter how many times I told my kids, there's a kid starving somewhere, or you should be feel fortunate that we have this opportunity or this or that. And I always, on another podcast, I always talk about the, how you can teach your children the idea of saving and spending. In Chuck yeah. E. Cheese. Like, I think Chuck E. Cheese offers the best opportunity to introduce <laughs> oh literacy. Oh, man. Um, but needless to say, in all of that, I recognize that I couldn't do enough, right? Like, it wouldn't matter. Because right. as we have just spoken about for the last half an hour, unless you live the experience, unless you face it, unless you feel it, right? Right, you right. To empathize and understand what's going on. So in 2015, right. I opted, I don't know if you and I have talked about this in no, the past, no. but I opted to pull my kids out of school and we moved to a little fishing village in Costa Rica called Nosara. Oh. Okay. And I specifically picked Nosara because they had this school that was 
Um, the public schools in those parts of Costa Rica are very like if the teachers don't show up, there's no school like there's no yeah. consistency. The government is not running it real mm -hmm. smooth. So there was this school that would be considered a private school. But their model is very much to take an expat and then take a local. And so the tuition you're paying is so you keep the culture. Yeah. School is Spanish immersed. It was an all yeah. outdoor school on an open campus. Um, the village is five hours from the San Jose. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were off the beaten path. There was no oh, like you were the way off the grid. Largest, the largest supermarket was a gas station type supermarket. Wait, so you went from Manhattan? From Manhattan in a luxury high rise building with three doormen and four, you know, janitorial all, people. All the fancy things. To... All the fancy things to a casita. In this little village, this little casita, yeah. it, we had running water sometimes. We had running power sometimes. We had army ants, and I'm from Brooklyn. Like army <laughs> ants or or like boas. Like when the boa yeah. constrictor came into the house, and they told me to call a snake handler. I was like, I got Vinny on the street. If you need cash, drugs, or pizza, I don't have a snake handler's phone number. <laughs> They don't want to kill anything. I'm like, and I'm not a gun person, but I was like, can we shoot the snake? Oh man. So, and again, that was very intentional that I did yeah. that. And that was about having my kids really be in a situation. I know there are people that will butt up against us and be like, see, you were privileged. You could just opt and do that. And did it. And well, there, yeah. And there is some truth to that. And that's okay. That is okay. But for me, when we went there, what I knew is it didn't matter how much money I had in the bank. If the power was off for the whole town, the power was off for the whole town. Right. You if couldn't use money to solve problems. You could not use money to solve problems, right? It wasn't Burning Man, but it was not far from Burning Man. Uh, sure. And some of the stuff I learned about myself was astronomically world-changing for me. Like, sure. I, I mean, my husband did not go with me. He did yeah. not. He was all supportive of it, but he was like, my career, I'm a New Yorker. I have a Wall Street. Like, these are not yeah. things you do. This is not the way you function. What are you sure. doing? You're out of your mind. Um, wow. And that was definitely, I mean, we, we could do six more podcasts. on. <laughs> yeah, that, that um, I, I can only imagine the conversations, the way they're going down as this is all unfolding and you're figuring out and making the decision to do this is like, I realized Ooh. what money can buy. So my daughter, we'll skip yeah. through a lot of this story. Um, my daughter lost two thirds of her finger on a zip line while we were there. And mm. um, you don't realize public you know, <laughs> yeah, health healthcare, and, healthcare yeah. and they don't have what we have, right? Like I was like, can't we do plastic surgery? Can't, and they're like, no, we're going to amputate. And I was like, no, no, you can't do that. Um, yeah, yeah, we're doing it. Because right, that's, right. What we, that's the option. So, so when you have money, yeah. right, all of a sudden, so I'm raised in Brooklyn, right? Louis Vuitton, yeah. Escalade, and a big diamond ring. And I think life is going to be exactly what I need it to be. Spend my early career on Wall Street. Now here we are 15 years later. I'm with my five kids living in this fishing village in Costa Rica. We go on a zip line. She loses a finger. And now all of a sudden I'm faced with amputation or I can take my own dollars, get her on a helicopter, fly her to the next, the nearest airport to get her on a jet, yeah. fly her back to New York because right. she, at Columbia, they will do a full reconstructive surgery and we can save her finger. Wow. Right? So all of a sudden, yeah. 
I came back, Louis Vuittons, Escalades, Diamonds, none of them had any value to me anymore. They, they, didn't, they lost, they were the aspirational items. You had them. And then this experience in Costa Rica wipes out the meaning of having What's any that? of it. I was like, oh my God, I've been misguiding money the whole time. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, Please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. So, Kara, we're in the middle of this incredible story. You've moved to Costa Rica. You're on this ziplining adventure. And your daughter has a really, dare I say, tragic like experience where her finger is mangled up and now you're asking questions about what to do your husband's in new york and you're in costa rica living kind of like a nomad and so <laughs> what happens next so right as you could imagine it was like and and it took me a minute and i usually try to put things in in perspective very quickly i think that's probably somebody asked me my secret talent i'm really good at like assessing risk and then deciding are we fight or flight, right? Like, what do we got to do? Uh, next, right. I would say I sure. should have been a firefighter. Nobody would want me because I'm only 410, but <laughs> I would have been a great, cause I'm great in crisis. So uh, uh-huh. I think that I quickly assessed, like we weren't dead. Nobody was dead. And the odds of her dying from like losing this finger and all this blood were probably slim. So at right. least I could dial back the mental like, where are we? Right. Cause if I'm saving a life, that's a whole different catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah. And the minute I could dial that back, then it was like, okay, where are we? Right. So we're in the rainforest in the middle of the jungle. There's no way down except to zip line. We still have another nine zip lines. So now I'm holding her. My husband was actually visiting that weekend. So we were together with the kids. So yeah. We're taking turns holding our, we're all covered in blood. Right. My other, now, mind you, I have five kids. They're only all one year apart. So Skylar at this time is six, River's four and a half, Alex is seven, Ace is eight, and my oldest daughter's nine. Like, we're not talking, these are all small <laughs> kids. Yeah. And people Hello. are like freaking out and yelling and, you know, they're, they're I mean, they're yeah. kids. And yeah. I'm like, everybody's got to get their big girl panties on. Everybody's got to get it together. Like we need to focus. We need to be a team. So yeah. we did. And so my son would go first and kind of be at the landing. So as my husband came in, he could be like, it was, I have to say, I was quite impressed with the teamwork that came together, but needless to say, we get down the zip line. Now it's hours, right? It took us an hour and a half to get down. Then sure. once we get down, we have to call all of a sudden when you, uh, this is a long story, but I'm going to try to really make it with short. When I had first gotten there, the school said to me, go see the doctor in our town. Now we were in a very rustic, it's a town called Nosada and uh-huh. it's very small. It's a fishing village. It's five hours from San Jose on a dirt road. Like it is not a place. It's remote, completely remote. People right. are like, oh, go live at the Marriott. I was like, no, we went to go yeah. live in this like little casita. Anyway, 
They said, go see the doctor. So you set everything up. God forbid. I mean, you're surfing, you're rock climbing, right. you're zip lining. Like there are accidents that happen. That happen. So sure. Like, make sure you're set up with them if God forbid something happens. So the doctor knows kind of who's in town and yeah. what to right. expect. Okay. Right. So I had done that. And the first doctor I met, there's two doctors in this whole town. The first one, he was kind of a little bit of a jerk. And he was like, you know, you Americans come here and you think like, you know, you're going to just rock this place. You need to be careful. There's the yellow belly snake. And gives me this whole uh, yeah, right scare like, tactic. Don't, like, don't, don't be so like arrogant. Right. Yeah. 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 I go to the second doctor and I set up with her, but it was really easy. Like, I don't remember her like asking me anything hard. She took a picture of my insurance card. I should have known that. And I should have went with the first guy. So when my daughter then got hurt and they were like, which doctor are you with? We'll get you over yeah. there. Now we go in a tuk-tuk. So we're not even in like a taxi. We're right. in like what we considered like a, a golf cart, except yeah. like a golf cart that may have lost the wheel yeah. and like, it's like it, but, so right. we're on this dirt road where like now we're covering her whole self because we don't want the dirt. Remember, it's, uh, yeah. it's dry season. There's dust and dirt. So we've got her all covered up. I've got basically, and I'm a very private person physically. Yeah. Like I have like a bra top on because I've now taken my t-shirt and I'm wrapping yeah, it. Right, so I'm right. Really uncomfortable. We get there. The doctor starts to like make phone calls. Long, long story short, six hours. The insurance will not approve the helicopter because if we go in a car, there was a pass that they didn't know if we could get through. I don't remember if it was because of something had happened and there was a path that nobody knew what the condition was. So they didn't yeah. want to send us in a car because they were not sure we could get out of town. Yeah. Sure. Okay. 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 Yeah. So of course me as a New Yorker, I'm like, uh, like I can't even fathom these things, right? Like I grew up in New York city. There's 99 ways to get anywhere. anywhere. Right. 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 And, and the more money you have, the, 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 the more options you have. Exactly. Right. I'm like, what the? Like, I am losing it at this point. Yeah, sure. So my husband says to me, Babe, I think we call. So there's these, like, what do you call it, guys, who do, um, uh, what is it called? Or oh, helicopter like, tours. Helicopter, but also like these small, like, planes. Oh, biplane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're like the four seaters or whatever, but they're like tour guides. Like, they sure. take you and he's yeah. like, why don't I look up some of these companies? He's like, if one of those guys, he's like, so, you know, those tours are usually a couple thousand bucks or whatever sure. it is. He's like, but if we can get somebody, like at this point, do we care? And I was like, absolutely not. So he starts calling. I start calling. In the end, the insurance came with their helicopter and put a doctor in the helicopter with us, which was fine, except that I then got a bill for $44,000. And so my initial reaction... Oh. So like I'm giving you pieces of the story because yeah, yeah, of course the bill right. didn't show up till two and a half months later. But right, right. My right. initial reaction to it was like, well, we're just going to pay it, right? Like, um, this yeah. is I'm not even going to like. It was my daughter. She was Wait, uncomfortable. We we're going to do whatever out. we're going to do, and we'll figure it out. Right. If that means I never buy another brand new pair of shoes, so be it. Like that's like priorities in my head went right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then my initial, like, second thing is like, this is ridiculous. How, you know, I mean, the the, the, the rational, like, argumentative yeah. side of you is like, what in God's name? Like, how is this even possible? And is this what people go through? Like, then I start yes. becoming an advocate 
for like, I'm smart enough, right? I have people that I know in my life. I could call my friend, the lawyer. I could call my friend, the medical person. Like I could get people on this to help me to figure out how to fight this thing. But that's really where my advocacy as a human started because I realized other people don't have the network that I have. And other people, so like it was, I almost felt obligated to be other people's network, right? Like if you yeah. know me, I will help you, you know, in, in, mm, now yeah. am I helping every Tom, Dick and Harry? No. Mm. But if like you're in a situation that legitimately right. you're being taken advantage of and I can right. be helpful, I'm going to be helpful. Right. You know, and that's really where my money stopped being away and i don't think i was ever like uber status i definitely as i mentioned earlier i definitely was the girl that was looking for my cadillac and i was looking for my louis and i was looking for my diamond i'll never deny that and there are still certain things about certain like i don't really indulge anything anymore more because i live like on a beach in florida at this point and so that's (laughs) the minute you walk outside right 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 i think that that's where like all of a sudden saving was no longer an emergency of like the way we talk about traditional like emergency runs to cover rent or um, you know right fund to cover if i lose a job that's where emergency took a whole different level of like emergency right Right. this is the difference between getting private health and public health care Right. This because in Costa Rica, had I just let them deal with everything, I would have went through the public health care system, which, as you can imagine, I mean, even though Costa Rica is very built up, it's still a third world country. It's still a very poor country. So I would have just gotten coupled in to that. I, You know, and I think that's where my whole perspective, my idea about what my meaning, like, I don't want to say my meaning of life. I'm not. I'm a little woo-woo, but not that woo-woo. But I definitely it shifted. Like everything just shifted. Shifted. That experience and everything that came out of that shifted your orientation around money. So, right, you've had these kind of seasons. You grew up with your parents kind of working, and your dad. Remind me, what was he? He's a school bus driver. He's still a school bus driver. All right. So, like, very modest. Right. Probably you did his best with great pride and. And all those things. And then you go and you end up on Wall Street and you're trading and you've got more money than you've ever seen in your life. And you got the Louis and the Cadillac and the diamonds. And it's like, and then you end up in Costa Rica and you're you're in a totally different financial phase. Yeah. And your daughter has this tragic zip lining accident with a finger and the, the finger is part of it, but it's the money that and what you see happen that it really shifts you again to say like, man. Like right. I'm fortunate that I can navigate and figure this out and I don't, I'm not going to be crushed by this 44 K, but it's leads to the work you're doing now. And it really, I think what's so interesting to me is my son actually on Monday jumped off my bed, tangled with his little brother, lands funny, hits his wrist, comes up screaming. And I'm like, mm. okay, he's going to hurt for a few minutes and it'll pass. Right? Like, okay. Five minutes later, he's still screaming bloody murder. 20 minutes later, he's still screaming bloody murder. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is more than just a zinger. Yep. You know, I call it urgent care and call my wife because she was having my son at the soccer practice. And But that in the back of my head, I'm like, 
how much is this going to cost? Yeah. And it's, this is one of those places that's so challenging psychologically with money because we really, our healthcare doesn't help us know how much things are actually going to cost. And we don't get to do what needs to be done for the fear of what it's going to cost. We don't know. Like, and we're financially great, right? Like if you look at our balance sheet, we're fine. But I still have this fear of like, man, this, this one fall is probably going to cost us a thousand dollars easily. And you know, it's like, I, you know, it's like, do we go to the urgent care? As soon as we go to the urgent care, do we just, and I was like, you know, the recommendation from the nurse was like, come in and see. And I'm like, well, you're saying that to CYA. I'm like, well, we'll wait until the morning. Cause it's, you know, it's not going to make that, but like this, you know, we're fortunate. My wife and I were people of means. So like a thousand, if a thousand dollar bill comes up, we'll pay it. But like, I don't want to spend a thousand dollars unnecessarily either. If it's, Something so, you could have just went to Rite Aid and bought a baby. Put, a, put a, a splint. And so, you know, now we're two doctor's visits, like in, been to the orthopedist. They put a splint on that you could get at Rite Aid. Right. And I'm kind of thinking the whole time, like, this wasn't a major fracture. Could someone have just like told us to go to Rite Aid and put this thing on? Like, right. so, I mean, the, the big point that you're sharing and I'm bringing in is healthcare and money and fear and anxiety are deeply interwoven and even when we have means sometimes it can feel really overwhelming about do we take the care right because we're we're taking on an unknown cost right and so i have the best ending for you for this story so about two days so we went right to the hospital right into san jose and i stayed with my daughter we they prepped her long story short she flies back to new york because in Colombia, in New yeah. York, <clears throat> they could graft part of her hand and recreate some of the finger. She still doesn't have a full finger, but it yeah. was a it was much better than a like she would have had a full stump. But yeah. they were able to like the way the zip line scooped her finger out. There was some tendons there, and they were they they took all of this anyway. That that's not the, the good ending. The good ending is so when I got back to Nosara. With my kids, with my four other kids that were there, um, we were having dinner. It was, I don't know, a couple of days later. Somebody knocks at the door and I open the door and I didn't know the woman. And I pretty much knew everybody in the town at this point. And she says, hi, I'm Angela. And I said, hi, Angela. Nice to meet you. And she said, my family owns the zip line. And I know your daughter had an accident and I came to see you. And she was visually shaking. Like, yeah. like this, she had an envelope in her hand. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, thank you so much. She said, how is your daughter? I said, she, you know, she's doing well. She's back in New York. And I was very calm and just telling, yeah. I mean, to me, accidents are accidents. And Right. You weren't looking at her like you were so negligent. My daughter's injured. Kind of. I really, I really wasn't. And I wouldn't yeah. have even thought to do that. I mean, again, that's not my disposition, but sure. So after about, I'd say 10 minutes of pleasant trees. She said, so I really came because I have this for you. And she handed me this envelope. I, at this point, I didn't open it. Yeah. And she said, but I really need to know, like, how, you know, are you suing us? Are you coming after the whole business? I said, what? And she said, well, you know, we know the American culture is really like everything goes right to a lawsuit. And, you know, because oh. your daughter was under the age of eight. We don't put kids under age of eight in the gloves and we know other places 
do gloves and we don't. And so are we at fault? And so she, she was really down. trying to work through all this. And she said, this is my family's business. It's been my family's business for the last 31 years. We've been, we've, you know, we're born and raised in this town and this yeah. is our, it, this bit, one business supports six like, families. My dad had four kids and we all yeah. have families and there's a, my, one of my brothers is divorced. And so there's another wife and kids and she, yeah. And her real fear was that I was. You're going to wipe out the whole family business. And I was like, I I was so shocked. Like it didn't even, because that's never even. Never crossed your mind. My mind. And I guess for, again, when you're in a different culture, when you can understand. So here's these people who this is their hometown. They, of course, want to accept us, the tourists, because we bring money. Right. But we come with flight risk. We come with, you know, all these things. We, you know, we come with lawyers. We come with regulation. Yes. We come with things that yeah. they don't have. And then if they have to fight us, that's. There's a power differential there, right? Like they don't have the resources to fight in the way. No. That... Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so in the envelope um, was $500, which is what we had paid for the family to go on the zip yeah. line. She was giving sure. back all of the money. Um sure which at that point was what it was, but it it was such a moment in time for me because to to have someone confront me, like she didn't send anybody to come see me. She didn't send a sheriff. She, she came herself as the advocate for her family. And for the, I would imagine she was the one that probably spoke the best English of the whole group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And as woman to woman, as mother to mother, like she came and yeah. she really wanted to know. And she wasn't saying, please don't. She wasn't saying, you can't. She right. was asking so they could understand what right. their family was going to be. And she wasn't discounting that my daughter was hurt. Right? Like, I think we do yeah. this thing. You win, I lose. If I win, you lose. Right? Like, right, right. She wasn't doing that. She was saying, we both have something to lose. Lose. Yeah. And, yeah. and how, what do I do to make this better? Wow. It was so profound for me. I mean, I feel it in my body as you're sharing this story. It's just it, the heartwarming, I think, is really kind of like the sense. And some people may call me innocent on this, but like, it feels like that's the way things should be. Right. Like in an ideal world, I, I realize we're not in an ideal world, no. but but like this is the way. I, it's human I, to human. It's human to I mean, human. And humans have had to restore relationship after major breaches since the beginning of time right where and i think my sense hearing from you is like they weren't being grossly negligent they weren't intentionally uh not doing something because it right it's just zipline all right i'm 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 agreeing to go on the zipline and take my children haven't i already kind of signed off on like doing something risky like do you know what i'm saying like you can't put a blame accidents are accidents kids are kids you know i'm a big i'd rather live life than die on the couch that's who i that's who i am as a person i take tremendous risk a lot of with a lot of things um and i I go into things and there are times when i'm like all right statistically i got a 22 percent chance of making it out of here but if i live the story's awesome If I die, I die. You know, like I, I, know. I see the smile on your face, and I and I appreciate your acknowledgement. Like, 
I also know I have enough self-awareness now. That's not for everyone. And that's okay. Like I'm not dissing you if that's not you, but that's this is me. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like for me, I think with with having this conversation to her, like as I've, you know, years have passed, somebody has always said to me, like, you should write a book about this experience because there were so many things on this experience. Remember, I was there for over a year. So just, and coming from such a different culture, right? Like, I mean, there were so many things that I saw work. I mean, I could tell you stories about my son and his ADD and and the way the school handled it and like just, just tremendous stories, but we won't go down all those barrels. We will go down the one where I've now thought many, many, many of times, what, let's say I would have went in a different direction. Let's say I was a typical like American. I'm going to sue you. I'm New Yorker. I'm going to bring the big guns. How would that have gone? So now I would have displaced an entire family, right? Yeah. I would have owned that yeah. business. Now am I committing to living in Costa Rica and running a, a zipline business? Okay, yeah. let's say I'm not because I don't really see that in my future. Uh, right. I'm going to hire somebody now to run a business in the face of the people I stole the business. from from or sued the business from. Right. And now those people most likely culturally are going to be like, they're going to work for me because I'm the, I'm the the man with the money, but they can't like me because they're going to see what I did to destroy. Right. So how, like, could I really imagine that they're going to be on the up and up and they're going to be protecting my investment? Right. So like, I just, I guess as I run down the barrel, I couldn't figure out where this benefit lies. Do I sue because that made me feel better? But it still doesn't bring back my daughter's finger. Like I always say to people, you know, it's funny. People are red. People are blue. I say everybody's green, right? Like I'm like, everybody's Uh green at the end of the day. And Uh I always go to the insurance policy. You lose grandma's ring. Nobody helps you recreate grandma's ring with all the memories and all the thoughts and all the emotions. All the associations. And you got to go figure out how to recreate grandma's ring. And no matter what ring you go out and buy, that ring is never going to be with the memories and the, the energy and everything that was in there. God forbid you, your kid, me, my kid oh. gets hit by a bus. Nobody brings us back our baby or each of us. They give us yeah. a check. And we have to now, what do we do with this money? So it's what we do with the money that then gives us the feeling of justification, right? So you always see the families that often after a tragedy, whether, you know, in all yeah, different what, they right. take the money and they open up a nonprofit or they become an advocate or so it's interesting that that's what then we do with money. We we advocate or we we try in somebody's memory because we can't replace like, there are certain things that are irreplaceable not- and there's no amount of money. And this is it's interesting. And we I got- quantify it, but we quantify it. We insure we, things for money. We oh. pay things with money. So it's not a dollar amount. It's irreplaceable. But yet, because we're humans and we can only deal with relative feelings, yeah. right? Yeah. Like we put dollars on things. Like honestly, we if you quantify the value of everything, right? right? I mean, yes, it's, it's we, stupid to me. I would rather like if you hurt me. Instead of suing you, I might feel more excited to like have a pin, a box of pins. And every day I get to come over and just stick one pin in you. That might bring me more joy. But we don't give those things out as like ways of justification. 
Well, and I think it's, to me, the, the true healing process is around empathy and compassion. And that's what it show, seems like you're describing about the woman that came from the zip line is she showed up with empathy and compassion without minimizing her needs, right? Because empathy and compassion is not about putting yourself in a one down position, right? but it, it is about acknowledging, especially if you've been the one that's created harm, that you can look that other human in the eyes and own it and say, yeah. I hurt you, Kara. Yeah. I hurt your family. And I see the pain that this has created for you. And that, you know, when I'm working with couples on the healing journey piece, getting people to take ownership for the ways that they've hurt their partners is really hard. Yep. Uh, yep. But it is, if you're going to heal and rebuild trust, you got to be able to look that person in the eye and say, these are the ways that I hurt you. Yeah. And and not to minimize it or over over exaggerate it. Yeah. But it's yeah. right down that middle. And that's that's easy to talk about, hard to get to. And you know, Lord knows I've had my places where I've had to do that with my wife, and probably not perfectly if she was here talking to you, but <laughs> I've made good faith efforts at you know, I've made some pretty good blunders in my my time yeah, of marriage. Yeah. So uh, but I, I really appreciate you naming that process, the human process, because the money can't replace the human loss, the story yep. loss. And it's, I know that there'll be some number of listeners listening today where they've received money because of a tragic loss Yep. yep. and what that money has meant. And it unfortunately goes one, it goes one of two ways. One of them is more productive mm -hmm. from this is my value. This, so no judgment. It goes into that meaning nonprofit, honoring the legacy, gathering resources to try to avert or reduce the risk of that thing happening, happening again. again. Yep. Or the money gets squandered in any number of ways because they don't want to be connected to that money and yep. its meaning. Which I do you blame it, them? I don't blame them. And that's what I want people to especially hear is no judgment if you went down that yep. path. If you're but if you're on that path and you haven't got spent away all the money work with Kara, work with me, work with somebody that understands getting money from a tragic experience. Yeah. It can help you move it towards meaning and purpose. Yeah. Because that's, that's the big loss. There's no support for people. Once you got the attorneys that will fight for you and will help you get the money, but they, they will not help you figure out how to live meaningfully with that. With that. Yep. Yep. Uh, and it's meaningful as you're saying, and I just want to reiterate again, like, Meaningful is different for everyone. And yeah. it is a different set of, you know, mean like I do know people who have I, I grew up on Wall Street during 9-11. So a yeah. lot of my friends' parents, you know, I lost a lot of friends. So yeah. I have I'm still mm. friendly with quite a few of the moms who lost particularly sons because it was just more yeah. boys on Wall Street. Yeah. And they received, you know, sums of money and they have really had a hard time. Like they can't enjoy anything anymore, right? Like these women yeah. are, I mean, these are your quintessential, you know, old school, like my, I lost my son and I am in mourning now for the rest, rest of, of my life. life right? Yeah. So, you know, I had a long conversation with one of them um, who I actually, my youngest son, his middle name is named after one of my friends who I lost in 9-11. And I said to her, I said, you know, maybe we should work on a scholarship because he went to this high school that we yeah. all 
he was local. And I said, and, and we'll put it in his name. So you don't even have to touch the money, but at right. least somebody else. And we'll make sure that the things are associated with what your son, son. was all things he did, sports he yeah. played, subjects he was good at. We still have teachers in the building that knew him. So mm -hmm. we'll let them be on the committee to pick the kids. And it, it took her a couple of years, but we got there. And just right before COVID, I think it was 2019, or it could have even been January of 2020, we let in that next group of kids. And four kids that were part of her son's scholarship committee mm. were there. She didn't, they offered for her to get up and award the kids. She chose sure. not to, but she sat in the front row. Yeah. And afterwards, I, I went over to the kids because I'm on the board. So I went over to the kids and I said, you know, that's Mrs. So-and-so. You should go over and, you know, just just say hi. Like, you don't even need to acknowledge anything. Right. And she was so thankful. Like mm. she, because like now she didn't have to touch the money. She didn't have to write right. a check. We were able right. to get with, you know, she gave us permission so we could go right to the account. And, right. have, but she at least had a place to go now where yeah. her son's legacy was being constructive. Yes. Yes. But no work on her part, right? She didn't have to right. relive anything. We weren't right. asking to get up and tell a story. We, yeah. right. That's, that's often. Again, we could do another session on this with donors. I see oh. this a lot. Like we want their story. And and I'm all for that because I guess, if, you know, people say, yeah. oh, they tell their story, it'll bring more money in. I think we, we have to get to know our donors better. Uh, 100%. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that because that the, I don't, I, respectfully, the nonprofit world can get exploitative of people's trauma stories. And and there's a d delicate dance there to respect and honor each person's unique grieving journey, their stage of where they're wanting to tell the story, right? And, and people's painful stories, they have, they have need and deserve the utmost respect. Yep. Um, so I want to hear your experience more about that, what you see. And for people that are listening, if they've experienced, if they're on the experience side of this, or they're on the side of working with people with this, what, 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 what do they need to be thinking about? They need to be thinking about, look, we need to know really who the donors are, not just, you know, we do these, I'm on quite a few boards. So, right. A lot of the times the development committee goes out, does some research beyond the Google research, they figure out what your worth is. And then they decide basically what they think they can ask you for. And, and I, I know on a very personal level, the dollar amount that people think I'm worth or, or may be able to figure out that I'm worth and what they come and ask me more is so disconnected from what I'm actually going to give. And what you're going to get from me more times than not is less dollars, but more of me. Like if I'm committing to you, I'm not just going to commit to you at the dollar amount. I'm going to commit my time. I'm going to commit my energy. I'm going to commit. And if you don't have value for that, then I'm the wrong donor for you. Because this, my time and my energy, in my opinion, is probably worth much more than any check I can write you. Well, and it's it would it be fair to say, Kara, that it's worth more to you to give yourself than your money. And it's like, worth more to me. And I know, and this is not me being full of myself, but I know that I speak passionately. People know that I'm 
selective. People know that I'm a little bit of a stickler. People trust. I mean, I've been around long enough that people trust when I say I like that. They're like, oh, it must be a good thing. Like it's a good product or because I don't endorse a lot of things. Right. If I'm giving you my endorsement, then people in my community are going to know that. Let's be honest. Birds of a feather, right? Don't that the same stereotypes and sayings don't become sayings and stereotypes for no reason right yes right as much as we don't like them as much as we try to debunk (laughs) everything yeah so so my feeling is i'm not i still do have five kids and what people don't recognize is when i look at my kids i could think of all the emergency savings i've put away i could have never known i was going to have a forty-four thousand dollar helicopter you know catastrophe in my future right now granted i was in a decent situation so i could stomach it but i i couldn't have predicted that so from that lesson i've learned that as much as i think i have saved no matter how much i have i could always use a little bit with five kids and those and five right. kids that function like me high risk takers interested i mean you know interested in things that are not part of the like Half that everybody else is on with the safety straps. So I know that I'm not out there. I'm not at my legacy phase yet where I can start knowing that everybody's good and I can just write checks without caring, you know, or not not worrying that money's going to run out or something. Yes. Um, But I'll give you me if you ask for my time and I commit to you, you know, and you and I have talked about this with the FDA board and whatnot. Like, if, if that's not worth it to you, then then I'm not the donor for you. Hmm. I think that's it's really interesting. Like I'm thinking more about on that side of becoming that person that people are looking at to be a donor. And it's something that's still new to me. Like a donor as a as a person of means, right? There's there has a different flavor to it than. Uh, when I was a firefighter and sat in the church pews and everyone's giving their tithe, right? Like there's a, you know, you've been identified because you have means kind right. of piece. And this is an interesting part of, I wonder how it affects humans journey into becoming wealthy first generation and what that feels like. And, and you honestly, I still feel very naive as a first generation person of affluence. And there's still a right. lot of learning and sorting through and awkwardness in that. Right. <laughs> uh, and that's partly why I'm doing the work that I'm doing is because I'm like, I just don't want to F this up. But I also <laughs> realize like, you know, my wife has been a major part of that journey and her right. financial ability. Um, and so for people that are listening that are in that, like, man, I grew up very modestly, but now I'm become a person of means and I have charitable inclinations, but it also feels weird to be that person. Like... Mm-hmm. And figuring out who you are and being straight. I mean, I'm again, I'm I've had enough practice at this at this point. Again, again, from my Wall Street days, right? That was a very philanthropic. Now, those gentlemen were for the most part, I can't say every single one, but for the most part, they were not like doers. They were happy to write a check and please don't call me, right? Right. right. And look, we need those people as well. Everything, no matter what you're dealing with in life. Everything should be a diversified portfolio, no matter mm. what you're dealing with. Everything, right? <laughs> I, I your, love your it. relationship, I... your cabinet, your pantry, your dishes. Like you shouldn't just have glassware or ceramic or melamine. You should have 
a bit of each, right? Like we, everything should be a diversified portfolio because different things are needed in different situations. Wait. And when you have access to all of it, right? That's actually where you become more powerful because you have access to all. And so back to what we were talking about before about my network, right? Yeah. I always find it interesting. And in this day and age, we see it more and more and more where people have their views of the world and then they only really befriend other people that are the same as them. I view the and world I exactly find, the same as them, right? I find this so peculiar. Like my friend group is yeah. the most diversified portfolio of people like everywhere from like the kid that lives at the motel six who might be wanted for a few things all the way up to like you know ceos who are running bazillion dollar companies and have you know some right. of tremendous power and at different points i need different people right like well you get to get get and give in each of those relationships differently right and and you get knowledge that you don't often remember as we make more money. And, and I say this fact, in my opinion, factually, people can <laughs> it all the time. Sure. As, as you make more money, people become more refined. They become much more, you know, reserved. They become uh -huh. much more, you know, like, like there's some secret sauce to the way they made the money. Like, yeah. it, I, I don't know. Like, at least this has been my experience. Nice. So maybe it's not fact. Mm -hmm. It's, it's Kara fact. As, as they used to go <laughs> on the trading floor. It's a Kara-ism. Um, and yeah. so I, I find that the people have less down, what I would call downside risk. And, and I do a right. whole piece on, you know, yeah. people's downside risk. When there's less of it, yeah. they just talk straight. They, they have no they, reason to buffer everything. Like they, they've, they don't have much to lose. So they can be honest or more honest about who they are. Well, this, See, it's, it's so interesting because there's a book that I'm looking at it now, and it's a framework for understanding poverty by Dr. Ruby Payne. Okay. And it's it's written for professionals kind of in the nonprofit world, education world, people that are trying to navigate and understand social class. And it's, I mean, look, there's a lot empirically written on social class, but I think there's also that lived experience piece, which is what you're talking about. That's my truth. My truth is I have seen people go from being straight shooting to being more refined and more hiding. Right. But I think what the social science and sociologists find is as we go up the class ladder, the way we make money and influence becomes changes the, in the relational dynamic. Right. And if we risk, if we say something offensive to one person that has significant business interests, and then we lose that, there's a lot of, like it's hard implications. to recapture the yep. implications. And this is, I, I want to, I'm trying to say this so respectfully, but if you're working on like the factory floor and you piss off your boss. Right. And you lose your job. I mean, it definitely sucks and it has implications, but it doesn't impact the company. They keep going on. Right. But if the CEO pisses off another major business partner and they don't want to do business anymore, it trickles like, down the hole. Yeah, the larger systemic impact. And so it's, and I want to honor both ways of being oh, in the world right. and work. And but this is, I think, part of what makes it so interesting. And what has in my own journey, right? I've had that question come up more and more. Why are people connecting with me? 
is it because of what I have to offer? Right. Or is it because of who I am? And it's funny, Ed, you say that because I call people on it at this yeah. point. And I, I'm like, so you never would have given me the time of day X, Y, Z years ago. You right. calling me now. That's fine. What do you need? Like, instead of like, we don't have to play cat and mouse. Just tell yeah. me what you need from me. I'll be right. straight with you whether I'm going to do it or not do it. And people really don't know what to do with that. Right. right. Because they've never been called out like that. And they, I have my downside risk at this point is yeah. yes, I, I run money habitude. So like, I really mm -hmm. probably should be much more like, yes, I, I have to like play nice in the sandbox with everyone. But in the same regard, I'm like, I'm going to let Money Habitudes be its brand and I will do my best to be my own person because right. I am who I am and I'm, I like who I am. And I like that I cannot like you, but if you need a favor from me and I can fulfill the favor and I think it's worthy of my time, I'll do it. Even though I know you're using me, even though I know that this is purely to benefit you. If I think it's something, so if the factory owner came to me and I don't really like him, but he needed an introduction to bring more business in and I thought it would genuinely help the factory workers, right? I might be inclined to do that. I like that. I like that. And I love just your naming the, I'm just going to shoot it straight. And I think what kind of came from for me at a, a deeper level in hearing you talk is, you know what? And you are a different person. And so, of course, people are going to relate to you different. Like, <laughs> what people want from me now is different than when I was 19 and when I was willing to jump on a red fire truck and go run into right. a burning building. Like, they weren't asking me for guidance on their financial life. They And they right. shouldn't have been. And they right. weren't asking me about how to navigate their marriage life. And they shouldn't have been. And they weren't asking me for larger donations or, you know, who's in my network because I didn't have that to yeah. offer. But how but those things offer now? I would poke holes in the one part. So let's go back to the factory owner and the factory worker, right? What are the odds that they're out playing a game of like pickleball together? Or what are the odds that on a Saturday afternoon, those two guys get together for a little bit of touch football? Now, let's say they both like touch football. Let's say this is something they both yeah. enjoy. And let's say they both commit every Saturday to play with a team. Right. Yeah. In your professional opinion, do you think they're playing on teams that are hanging out with one another? No. One's no. probably playing at the public area and uh, one is probably playing at a club. At, that's exactly right. And that's and that's what bothers me. That's where because yeah. why is the association of the level of income you make have anything to do with how good or bad you are as a competitor? that we could play a sport with. Like, why can't we just go out and have a good time with somebody that might be a good time? Yeah. And, that, you know, and yeah. people get all over me about this because oh. I tend to like really poke holes in, I go out of my way to yeah. hang out with probably people that don't look like me. And I get heat from them too. Cause they're like, you're not like us. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and I go right back at them. And then they realize that I'm really no different than them. Like I'm a jokester and I'm, you know, I want to be right. a little bit bad. Right. And I want to just be, you know, I'll have, and I don't know the right language to use. I don't want to call them my, my, income challenged friends i, I don't know what you yeah, call them. Yeah, yeah. i don't want to call yeah. them poor but like let's right. say my, my friends that are not at the status 
that right, they don't have the same say, income level. Yeah. Right. I'll say things and they'll say, well, Carrie, you can't say that in front of, you know, those other people. And I'm like, that's why I'm here hanging out with you guys, because those people, they don't like what I well, it's, you know, it is interesting because there's that need as humans for group belonging and, and shared identity. And then there's the other side of that coin where it's like diversity, you know, uh, spice is a flavor of life kind of thing, yep, and like yep. almost two different philosophies. And it's like trying to hold both of those philosophies. Like, I do want to hang out with people that are like me. And fun. Like and I fun, find the wealthier and... the group, the less fun. And I'm sure we're going to get heat for that. But yeah. I've been around a lot of wealthy people. So can we start the fun wealthy people club? Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. If you can, if you can. I mean, I'm going to be very particular about who we let in our club. <laughs> How do we measure fun people? That's a whole nother question. That oh, we could, yeah. But you know, it's. I think. I mean, I consider myself a social class changer. Right. And I think that there's a lot of value in being able to have lived in different perspectives. And right. kind of flashing back, you know, my MO in high school was to bounce around between the different social groups and always kind of, you know, and look now as a therapist, I would say, oh, well, some of that's like anxious attachment. And you're just trying to make everyone happy. And right. so, you know, who, which psychological lens do we use to explain this? But you know, I think it takes people that are willing to go between different social groups to thread the the common humanity between all of us, yep. because there are things that make us unique and there are things that make us all the same, all the same. Right. And like, yep. that's the beauty of psychology is it really shows you that there is both incredible diversity in the way our brains are wired and there's incredible universality too, right? Like, and then Our, throw money into it. And somehow money uh, affects it all. It's all Money's interwoven. It's that, a universal. Yeah. It's so, it's well, shocking to me. And it, it and looked at one way, money is a tool of interaction. Yep. Money is a tool of social belonging and connection. Yep. And we use money to facilitate belonging and connection. And when we don't have money to participate, we feel an absence of belonging and connection, which hurts us psychologically. <laughs> so, you know, it's like. Back to those donor boards, you know, uh, some people, uh, there's a lot of what they call pay to play, right? So oh, if yeah. you're not being, you know, drawn against, like people yeah. are not coming after you and, and soliciting yeah. you. There are people that just show up if there's a particular group that they want to be part of and they yeah. have the means to maybe you know, a lot of boards have like a, especially at the, the bigger boards, they have a, a certain threshold that you have to donate at. Yeah. So we call that pay to play. You know, yeah. if you want to be with the group, now all of a sudden you're part of the group, right? It's much easier to send an email as your fellow board member so you and I yeah. can do something together versus I'm yeah. nobody and I need you for something and I'm going to write you an email. Yes. Money. And, and it's, yeah. you know, it's interesting. I, I find that, you know, I actually say no to a lot of boards for that reason alone. Like I, I just can't, I have no more capacity. Right. So sure. I don't need, I'm happy to write a check. I'm happy to come to a pick project. I'll come work on the project. Don't, I don't yeah. need to be part of the social circle of people, yeah. that, you know, it's going to be fluff and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I'm just not a fluff kind of girl. I'm fun. No fluff. <laughs> fun, no fluff. That's fun, hilarious. No fluff. 
I love it. So, you know, as we wrap up this conversation, Kara, what's kind of a parting piece of wisdom? How do people learn more about the world of money habitudes and what you're doing there? So, I mean, I think the words of wisdom is we need to figure out what your, like people need to figure out what their own financial health, wellness, happiness really is, right? So let's throw all the rules out, all the 50, 20, 30 rules. You need to save 20% of it. Throw it all out the window. Whatever works for you, whatever makes you sleep well at night, whatever gets you comfortable. No, I'm not saying don't save. I'm not saying don't invest. I'm saying figure out what works for you. Start in small steps for those that haven't started at all and get comfortable with it. Like you you get what works for you. Don't let anybody tell you you're good, better, or not doing well enough. Whatever you're doing is right for you. That's always what my big thing is. Love and, it. Love and the it. money habitudes is, is just an endorsement of that. That's why I acquired the company, right? Like it's a neutral tool. It's not a invest in the JP Morgan fund or invest in the Vanguard fund or, or like, be the richest person in Babylon no, or be the poor, stop being the poorest person. Right. It is, where are you? Here's the assessment. Where are you right now at this snapshot? Is it, and once we see the assessment results, let's a conversation. Is it working yeah. for you? How, oh, do you like that about yourself? Do you not like that about yourself? Why does it work for you here, but it doesn't work for you over here, right? And then yeah. because most people subconsciously have no idea what they're doing with their money. They have no idea how they're being used for it or how they're using it or how they're playing things out because it's become so habitual, right? right. It's the default of what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't have a clue. And so we just try to wake you up to like, hey, this is this is how you're behaving. <laughs> If it works, great. Right. Stay broke. But if it's not working, you do have the ability and you have the option to work on it. That's so empowering. And I think that there's so many people that are stuck and feel like they don't have the ability or the option. And they're they they're stuck in the story of whatever they've been given. Mm-hmm. And and a phrase that I love is called permission granted. Yep. And it, yep. that's what I hear you saying is like permission granted to really and this is not fluffy work this is but can be fun work it it's challenging but you as a maturing adult get to really look at how do you want to live your financial life and yep. yes there are plenty of people that will tell you do the 80 20 budgeting method do the, this investment philosophy do this tax strategy and there's merit behind those different ones but they may not be the right financial guidance for, for you, you. Yep. so you've got to yep. do this is the inside out approach, as I like to say, of how do you want to live financially? Because there are people, I mean, I just got a text from a friend that said, Hey, I just heard this great talk on minimalism. And I just cringe because I was like, Oh, or the fire movement. I love when people come with the fire, but here's what I'd say. I don't not listen to everything. If something yeah. comes out, I try to put my as calmness as I can be, yeah. which you can probably tell for me isn't easy. Yeah. But I try to listen to it all because maybe I hate the whole thing, but maybe there's one inclination of one thing that plants one seed or gives an enhancement to something else I already know and gives me another idea. Had I not listened to those crazy travel blog, uh, what are they called? The... um, the nomads, the digital uh, nomads. Oh, they're like yeah. not a girl. I mean, I mean, they're so far from who I am, but yeah. I 
I listened to them. I never, ever would have had the kahunas to take my family to Costa Rica. But by listening to that, it gave me, I was like, all right, I'm going to go down this barrel. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try, you know, yeah. being remote from another place. But that's not how I grew up. I grew up. My parents have been in the same home for 56 years. You, yeah. We are so traditional. So yeah. I think you have to listen to everything and open up your mind enough that there could yeah. be some, some some seed in nuggets. There. Yeah, that's that's the that's the nugget. Kara, thank you so much for your generosity so and warmth and. <laughs> I can't wait to get this shared. <laughs> we're going to have so much fun or the, or we're going to have the hate mail. <laughs> I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money. Ed.